Welcome back to Around the Shabbos Table. I'm Aaron Wogelanter, and this is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. This is part two of our guest's story. Um, if you heard part one, then you can continue on. If you did not hear part one, I encourage you to go back. Um, both, both parts of the story are interconnected, and it's important to understand part one as well. Um, although this is a whole different chapter of her life, um, it very much is predicated on the first part. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to it. Um, and I hope you find this episode meaningful as well. Do you, and I guess to just to dig a bit deeper into something you mentioned earlier was, do, do you tell your kids about um, your childhood and how you grew up and how much of that you want to um, explore? Okay, so it's it's an interesting question. So I'll, I'll first explain where 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 I came from, my background, and my childhood, um, and then I'll answer your question. Um, I grew up in a home um, that, from the outside, actually looked like a dream. Um, I I succinctly remember from the youngest age. Um, people telling me, you are so lucky that you have the parents that you have. Um, they are such special people. Um, everything that I know about uh, doing chesed, I learned from the home that I grew up in. Um, my parents just shown that was their that was their mitzvah. And they, they were so osik mitzvah ketzibar and just really, um, you know, did beautiful, beautiful things, really, you know, picked up the ball when nobody else wanted to pick it up when it wasn't popular, you know, made them dirty or whatever it was, like they were always there. And um, and so it, it really looked like a dream. On the inside, it was Gehenim, and I use that word um, with no exaggeration. Uh, our home was extremely dysfunctional, and there was... Um, one of many children? One of many children, um, and, uh, and there was, uh, abuse. There was, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, severe, severe. And I was from the older children. Um, I think everyone kind of feels like their younger siblings got away with more, but it, it is true. <laughs> um, my parents did mellow by the time, um, you know, they, my, my younger siblings also had a, a tough time, but very different from, from what we went through, um, by the time my younger siblings were sort of in the school system, um, social services was already a part of the school system. And when we were when we were part of the school system, um, it wasn't. You know, people weren't looking out for you know our children. You know, do they have bruises on them? You know, things like that. I I, I wore heavy socks or tights my entire. Um, elementary and middle school because I never told anybody in the oh of course the children do not no. tell of course not it's very shameful right it's embarrassing you feel very different from your friends um no one would would understand and like what like oh, what do I should hey what should I say that I have like the mean mother and they have such nice mothers like it's so embarrassing of course no children will never say um so you know, if 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 in the in that type of a world where this the the community the school um, really wasn't aware of these issues or maybe paying attention to them as much as as we do now, Baruch Hashem, um, it was very easy for a child like me to um, to go unnoticed. 
Um, it definitely comes out in behavior without a question. But in my case, I was always a very, very good student. Um, I loved school, of course. It was my escape from home. And, um, and I, I did my best in terms of, you know, my grades were always top. And, uh, you know, I wanted to please people. You know, getting people's approval was so important to me because at home there was so much negative reinforcement that I just like was so thirsty, just desperate for this positive reinforcement. So anything that I could do, but you know, when a person grows up in an environment like that, there's really, um, you're missing a lot of tools. You're missing, you know, so many things in your toolbox and just the ability to create healthy relationship, um, the ability to relate to the people around me, um, without worrying about like, what they would think. I mean, I could never have anyone come to my house. So, you know, having people come over to play or to study when I was older was like, no way. I'd be so embarrassed, you know, if they would, if they would know like, you know, the type of parents that I have. So, um, yeah. When did you know as a child, when did you know that this wasn't, this wasn't normal? This wasn't good right away. I didn't, I didn't. Um, like I said before, it becomes your normal, right? When you're born into something, when you when you're just dealing with it for so long, um, it becomes your normal. Did I did I know that there were other types of homes out there that didn't have, you know, abuse and 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 were functioning? And yes, I was very aware of that. I was extremely jealous, but not jealous in a bad way. Like I wanted so badly a piece of that happiness. I just didn't know how to get it. Um, I. Um, I never really pushed Hashem away. I, I think Hashem created me with an Hashem that just naturally goes towards him always. So I would I would lie in, at night in bed and, and cry to Hashem. I never felt alone. I felt lonely before, but I never felt alone. I would cry to Hashem and to my grandmother, who I was named after, but... Um, I actually uh, um, had a very close relationship with her. She, she, uh, I was, uh, she was alive when I was born for a number of years, and uh, I was her namesake, and, and we had a very close relationship. So I, um, I, I would cry to her, and I would cry to Hashem, and uh, and uh, that that's how my home life was. Um, uh, so when when did this change? When when it did change? happen so i'm very fortunate that i always had someone in my life peripherally who maybe not was fully aware but was aware something was off and created um a space for me if i wanted to come into it so whether it was a family I was babysitting with when I was younger, you know, babysitting for their kids when I was younger. Um, uh, or you know, this was before cell phones. So in order to get me as a babysitter, you have to call the house. And then you you're know, here, right. You right. hear things, um, or, uh, a teacher in school or a neighbor or, you know, whatever it was. So I, I never had 10 people at once, but I always had one person. There was always one person there. Um, I didn't realize at the time saying this, looking back, I was very, I, I believe that HaKadosh Baruch probably sends um, anyone in a situation, you know, what they need to have that. And I am very, um, like, emotional, emotionally driven, I guess, very affected emotionally. So um, 
you know, specifically in our home, um, uh, you know, it, it, there was there was mental illness involved, and so um, mental illness is is this strange kind of monster because, um, you know, a, someone could walk around, let's say, with a disease, um, and you know, it's it's not it's not something to hide. You know, we we like put it out there. We say tell them for him. We you know visit them. We help out the family, right? But mental illness is actually, I mean, in, in our case, it was a, a very serious and real personality disorder. And personality disorders are, are very um, tricky because um, you can actually function really, really well um, if you're not being triggered, the unhealthy part of yourself is not being triggered. So, you know, outside you know, everything looked great and normal. I was going to ask you about that. It's, it, so it was a personality disorder. That's how it could right. be portrayed on the outside. Right. And the one big trigger of this personality disorder happened to be being in the role of a parent. Right? So who are the people that were affected by this? Obviously, the children okay. in the home. But you wouldn't see it from any other perspective. It was both parents or one? Um, It was one, but... Again, you have to sort of understand how it works. So when there's a personality disorder, um, the, a spouse has a choice either to sort of acknowledge at some point something's off and then either try to get help for the spouse or leave the marriage, whatever it is, or there's another way to deal with it, and that's just, right, beat them or join them, right? So you just just keep your head low. It's going to be easier. Don't rock the boat. And, and you get sucked in and you kind of become uh, uh, a partner in the damage that's going on uh, without even realizing it. So there's really, um, I hope you can hear my voice actually, there's really, um, there's really zero anger because it's kind of like, you know, do you get mad at someone for like having cancer? Like it's not their fault, <laughs> you know, like, like this is what Akash Baruch Hu gave to, you know, this individual. And I am so grateful so grateful that it's it's not genetic. That was the first thing that I, as an adult, I, you know, when I was going on my journey of recovery, of like just processing everything, I was like, okay, is it genetic? I got to know. And that was super important to me because I just couldn't imagine what it feels like to live in a brain like that 24-7. Like it's got to be torture. I'm so grateful that I don't live in a jail like that in my mind. So, yeah, there's really, there's a lot of, of understanding. And, um, you know, as a child, I was, was just... Was that always, even when you found out, quote-unquote, what was what was up and what it was, you, um, there was never anchored? Right away, you jumped into this perspective of of understanding? Um, so, yeah, so, so basically, I actually didn't find out... Um, uh, none of us knew a diagnosis until I was expecting with my second child. So we actually, until that point, um, you know, at that point we had already, those of us that are already were older and went through therapy and extensive like healing, um, we knew and understood uh, what had gone on and that we weren't the cause of it, which is part of what we were you know, led to believe and told as children. Um, but we were actually, um, you know, victims of what happened and to learn to have compassion for ourselves and care for ourselves and 
um, and, and learn what it meant to come out from a situation like that. Um, we, we spend our childhoods really taking care of, of the parent um, that, that had this issue. And, and so we really, you know, I, I remember just waking up as, uh, as an older teen um, and, and making the choice to like, you know, hey, I, I, there's a lot of happy people out there. I want a piece of that. Um, what do I have to do to get that? And the family that was in my life at the time, you know, the support system, um, you know, the husband happened to be a social worker. And I, I, I called her up. I said, I need to come over and talk to you and your husband. And it was really from one day to the next. I, I came over. I sat down at their dining room table and I said, I want to be happy. How do I do it? Sign me up. And uh, he found me an amazing uh, therapist and the first thing that I said when I walked in was like, okay, here's the deal. I am not going to date anyone. I'm not going to get married. And I'm not going to become a parent until you tell me that I have a chance at having a healthy marriage and a healthy career as a mother. Because I'm not going to inflict this pain on the next generation. And I saw what happens when... Um, a person might grow up in something like that and they don't stop, acknowledge it, see how it affected them and it affects you. I mean, in every every little detail it affects you and then rewire. I mean, there's so much reprogramming and rewiring that you have to do to learn normalization again. So unfortunately, I, I can't, you know, out of just out of respect and out of confidentiality, I, I, I want to be careful not to give too many details um, I am open if anyone on, you know, listening to the podcast is going through something similar. I'm happy to provide my email and connect one-on-one, -on -one, but I just really want to be careful. At the end of the day, right, you have to kind of see it as these are people who, you know, are, are ill. And so, you know, they still have a million other pieces of them that are so beautiful. Um, like I said, like any piece of chesed that I do in my home, I learned from them. So, um, so you know, my goal is never to embarrass them or, um, you know, call them out or be a whistleblower. Um, but it's really, really important, um, for anyone who's listening out there who maybe went through something similar or is going through something similar to understand that, um, there was a time in my life, a really long time in my life that I did not talk about this because I was sure that no one else was possibly going through even a 10th of it. Um, and so it just made me feel different and I wanted to feel the same. I mean, my whole childhood, I felt different. I desperately wanted to feel the same. So, uh, for a long time I, I didn't talk about it. And like I said, like there's a certain shame that comes with it. And it took a lot of hard work to realize that actually this is kind of a trophy, right? When, when you can go through something like that, when you can go through an inferno and come out on the other side, um, you know, stronger from it. Um, there's a lot to say about like the, the, the resiliency of a human being. Uh, we could really be knocked around so hard, um, always for our best, always for our best. But it, it just never, it, it doesn't have to break us. So people need to know out there that uh, there's so many people like this that have gone through things like this. That, that sit here today and, you know, um, unfortunately are not able to, to have, um, you know, connections with, with people that, that 
that are their mommy, that are their daddy, that are their tati, that are, you know, that are their ima. Like this, these are things that that every child should have until until hundred and twenty, right? Um, and they call us, you know, motherless daughters, right? Is that we're not orphans, but we, we're daughters, and there's a mother out there somewhere, but uh, biologically, right? But uh, but we don't have access, so. So that's a reality, but we can we can choose what we do with that reality. Um, nothing really that happens to us is is bad or good, right? We know that nothing that happens is bad or good, right? Trucks hitting us, not bad or good, right? Childhood that's dysfunctional, not bad or good. Right? Everything that happens to us is completely and totally neutral. Definition of bad, right? Anything that takes us further from Hashem. Definition of good, anything that brings us closer to Hashem. So. All the circumstances, completely neutral. And then what we do with it, that's our definition of bad or good. I feel like I can cut this. I can cut your story into four different just episodes because we're on here. But, like <laughs> you can, but, but to see that you, not one, not two, not three, and then you just keep on going, um, that, that itself is insane. But um, how, do you, how do you think that these experiences um, obviously built you into a resilient person and we didn't quite get into the answer of how much of this do you tell your children, but yeah. um, maybe we'll go, let's go back to that. I'll take that. So, so just to, to return to that, how much of this do you, um, do you tell your children then? Right. So it's very interesting. Like I knew when, I knew when my children, you know, were being born, I knew, you know, there was going to come a day where it was going to come up. I didn't, I didn't really prepare you know, when that was going to be, okay, when they're this age. I know that never really happened, but I, I was aware it was going to happen one day. Um, the biggest reason that I knew it was going to happen is because they have a very vivacious and active and living relationship with my husband's parents. And not yours. Exactly, right? And then my parents aren't in my life at all or in their life at all, unfortunately. So, um, so you know, eventually... They're going to pick up on that. And it was just a matter of time. And the time happened um, when we were uh, not in the community we are now. It was it was much earlier on. Um, I believe my youngest biological child was a baby. So, yeah, all, all of my children were born. Um, but she definitely was too young to be part of the conversation. I just remember my older children were around six, seven. And we were at our table Friday night. Baruch Hashem, no guests were there that week. <laughs> no table topics on this one, okay. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know how kids are wont to do? They're like, tell me about when you were little. You know, tell me a story from when you were little. So my husband's such a good storyteller. So he, you know, he started and uh, he started, you know, oh, like I remember like one time I did this, one time I did that. Like, did you ever make trouble, daddy? He's such a good guy. Like you can't even imagine <laughs> him ever making trouble. So he was like, I don't remember ever getting in trouble. Of course he doesn't remember ever getting in trouble. And then, and then he's like, actually there was one time. Right? And I'm like laughing. I'm like a one time. And, um, and he said, one time. I broke my cousin's paper airplane collection. Like me and my younger cousin, we were little, we went into his room and like we just cracked all those little wooden pieces um, just, you know, for no reason. And so they were like, oh, what did grandma do? And he said, it was the only time that grandma ever hit me. She sat me down and she said, what you did was very wrong. And she took my hand and she hit me on it. 
not hard, but it was the only time it ever happened. And my seven-year-old <laughs> turned to me and said, Mommy, did your parents ever hit you? So there we were, Friday night. Um, we, my husband and I looked at each other, and in the moment, I just, it felt like the time. Now, you have to be very careful what you tell children at what ages, seven, obviously. I'm, I have, right. Right, I'm you have, seven to, year old, you I'm have like to filter, of. you have to say it the right way. Um, so her question was, if my parents ever hit me? And I said, yes. And they said, like, like what? Like, what'd you do? And I said, I don't really remember what I did. But unfortunately, um, you know, Sometimes when people aren't happy or they're just struggling a lot with their own things, then they hold a lot of like anger inside of them and they can just sort of, you know, lash out and hit, not because you did something wrong, but just like they need to express themselves and they end up expressing themselves on you. And, um, and, and that happened to me when I was a child. And, uh, I just remember my, my, my older two, um, just looking at me. Uh, just kind of like wide-eyed, like this was just a new concept to them. And then one of them, my second child, who is, um, if I had to describe her in one word, it's very easy. The word is empath. <laughs> she is extremely empathetic. She just, um, she said, like, were you able to like, like go to your friend's house or like, go to someone's house so they could like, like hug you after. Like she like, got it. She yeah. Like, like, weren't you like, did it like you were in pain? Like, couldn't you go someplace? And I said like, no, I didn't really have friends growing up. I didn't really know how to have friends because I was scared that they were going to find out, you know, the type of home I was in. And she's like, mommy, you were all alone. And I said, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. You know, I, Hashem was with me, but like, I didn't have so many, friendships growing up. I had wonderful people around me, but I didn't really know how to make a friendship. And she was sitting across the table from me and she came down off her chair. She came around and she just wrapped her little arms around me and with tears coming around her eyes, she said, Mommy, I wish I could have been there for you. I would have been your friend. And that was our first conversation. Um, and that was it. It ended there. It ended there. And obviously over the years, that it, it opens, right? It opened the door. And children will ask things, especially when they're in an environment where they're encouraged to express themselves. So children will ask things, and they, they, they ask things over the years. And as it was age-appropriate, you know, I shared, I shared different answers with them in different ways. Um, you know, now, now they're fully grown and, and about to, uh, you know, go off to uh, build their own family. So... Um, it's do you ever sit down? Do you ever less about you? But do you think that it's important for someone who experienced this to sit down with their children, maybe when they're older, and, and tell them the story from beginning to end, or it never really ends, but beginning the story? I'm very cautious to answer a question like that because I'm not a professional. Number one and number two, um, this type of situation comes in so many different stripes and colors. And there is not one solution. Um, I, I strongly recommend um, finding someone who can guide you through a situation like this. Um, you know, if it doesn't come for me, it came very instinctually, like what to say. 
I went to say it, but you know, it, I, I strongly recommend it, but I could just tell you from my personal experience, right? I, I can't apply it to other people. It was very, very important that my children ended up asking me when they did and that they grew up essentially with the knowledge of my background because there are circumstances. Okay. Explain this. Uh, Children are born into a world like a blank computer, right? So it has no programs in it, no software, nothing. It's blank. And through their experiences and their interactions um, with the people around them, um, coupled with their own personality traits and bidos that Hashem puts in them, uh, they, they grow and they develop. When such a huge chunk is missing from the, uh, from a, a huge healthy chunk, let's say, is missing from the, the piece that comes from the people around them, so the behaviors that are implanted are, are there um, from the beginning. You have to realize it's not just like someone saw something. We're talking about a blank computer that's being programmed. Okay, so you can't just grow up and say, okay, now I understand what that was and expect that you're never going to see it again. Not only will you see it again, but as a parent, you're pretty much guaranteed to see it again because suddenly the roles are reversed. You're the parent and the child might be saying something or doing something that triggers something from so far back you don't even remember it but it causes a knee-jerk reaction, an unhealthy knee-jerk reaction, because as much therapy as we went through and as much as we rewired and reprogrammed, that piece, that word, that experience, when we were faced with it in the moment, it came, what came out was what was programmed all those years ago, right? And it takes years and years and years and, and, and a lifetime in some cases for certain aspects to, to really take out the old programming, put in the new programming. So for children to understand that um, my mother, you know, she's someone who's really working hard on herself, not just for her own happiness, but she really wants us to have the best mother, the best version of herself that she can present, right? For them to understand the context that it's coming from is, is kind of crucial. It was crucial for, for my children because I'm afraid if they wouldn't have had that knowledge, what it would have done to our relationship. But when you understand the background, um, and the context of someone's behavior or reaction, then it becomes not personal for yourself. You understand that the person themselves is just struggling. It's not a reflection on you. And I think in our family, that was like super important um, for that. You know, it just worked out well, Baruch Hashem, that my children just were aware of it from a young age so that, you know. And there were times that they were like, be like, okay, mommy, that's, you know, that's something that, that's not for me, right? That's from you, mommy, right? And I'd be like, yeah, that's for me. That's for me. You're a great kid. You 
must be a great kid. And I, I, I'm going to go work on that. So, yeah, it, it was very important in our family. But, again, I, I can't answer it across the board. It's, it's, it's too big of a question and too complex. Yeah, and, and, and further on that thought, um, I can tell you just from personal experience, um, I feel very fortunate that uh, I had to do so much reprogramming because what happens when you have to physically, you know, so to speak, physically take out a software, take out a program, right, uproot it, and then consciously put a new one in is that it is so front and center. You become so aware and so hyper-tuned in um, so I remember just when my children were younger and I would just be in the grocery store and I could hear from like the aisle over, I didn't know who it was, you know, some kid, you know, and the mother was frustrated and her tone of voice or the way that she was talking or, you know, yelling at him or whatever it was, Jewish, not Jewish, whatever it was, no judgment, but thinking like, I'm so grateful that I was that kid once. I know how it feels and so I cannot inflict it on my child. If I hadn't known how painful it was, I don't know if I would have that sensitivity and I might sound like that mom in the aisle. One over, right? So I, I would say more than, than we have to be aware of it, anyone, we all have things that we have to, you know, that we have to work on. And, you know, our children are our biggest, biggest motivations and, and catalysts for growth um, in who we are as individuals. But... Um, but anyone who comes from a background where they kind of feel this, like, you know, you look around in the world, and you're like, I wish I had, I wish I had like that family or those parents or like, you know, think about like Yom and Tovim and like people get together and like, you know, it's like, there's a certain like yearning of like, I wish I had that. And then I, I look at, I look at, you know, who I am as a parent. And I sometimes see my peers and some of them and what they're like as parents. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful for the experience that I had. I, I honestly don't think I could be the mother that I am any other way. And I think if God forbid, I would have had a different set of circumstances. And it would have resulted in me making mistakes on my kids as a result. I'm not sure how I could have lived with myself at the end of the day. Better that the mistakes were made on me and I had to do the work to, you know, learn it the right way, you know, before I was married, then, then the opposite. I don't know if I could have lived with myself inflicting that pain. So I'm very grateful for every step. I mean, we say like, I always tell my kids this, life, we're like puppets on strings every limb, every joint, you know, we have this fishing wire, we can't see it, but we're all just being tossed around um, throughout our days, throughout our years by the master puppeteer himself, and uh, he sort of dances us into one family and uh, puts us there and puts all those people around you and makes them do all the things that they do, and he puts, you know, all the people around you, your friends, your community, you know, makes you meet certain people at certain times. It's all being orchestrated. And uh, it's just incredible. It's such a bracha to, to have um, time pass so that you're able to look backwards and connect the dots. You know, it's hard to do that when you're younger because you're in it still, right? You're still in it. But when you're, you're able to like look back 
And sometimes you could still be in it in a way, right? You're still dealing with some pieces. But when you have years and decades, it's impossible not to see the puzzle coming together in some way, shape, or form. You start to see how it, over here it made sense, over there it made sense. So like, okay, you know this famous thing that we all choose, you know, the family that we're born into? I don't know where it comes from, but like, people talk <laughs> about it all the time. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, people talk about this, like you choose the family you're born into, and I often think to myself, like, what in the world were you thinking? <laughs> what did you choose? But the truth is that um, that now, you know, decades later, looking back, um, I wouldn't sell the experiences that I've had for all the money in the world. You cannot, there's no money that can buy these experiences for me. I'm so grateful for, for them. I cannot be the person I am. If not for this, you know, a little bit of what I was saying before, you know, people can look at my life. I started by this, you know, you can look at my life and you can say, perfect, like, oh, like perfect. That doesn't look perfect <laughs> to me. It's so perfect. I can't even tell you how perfect, um, you know, every piece of my life is and this moment in time and, and where it's brought me. So, so that is very grateful. Um, talking about perfection, um, we will uh, segue with your permission into our, you know, our, our youngest child, um, who is a gorgeous baby that, uh, that Hashem just dropped into our lives. My kids still talk about her because <laughs> not, not because they noticed anything, but because she's, she she's makes just so an beautiful. Imprint. She makes them, yeah. she's happy and beautiful in the way your other children deal with her and they, uh, maybe that's not the, they, they interact, interact yeah. with her and they love her. Deal is not the right word. Um, and that, that left an impression on them. They still say so. Yeah, she's kind of the, she's kind of the jewel. Um, all of our children. Um, but uh, this, this uh, you know, our, our baby, when my youngest child was born, uh, we lived in a community that had a very large uh, uh, Jewish-Russian community. Uh, and I, we, we, we always kind of had people at our house. And, uh, so we connected with one couple and then they brought another couple. And before we knew it, we were like kind of the hangout. And, um, uh, these were young couples, um, you know, starting their marriages, starting their parenthood and really didn't necessarily have a command of the medical system, how it worked in our country versus where they were coming from. It's very, very different. Um, and uh, I guess to them, I was like the experienced mother because I already had quite a few. And uh, they were like, could you come with me to my birth? And I was like, okay. So the first time I was asked, I thought like, wow, that's like special. I guess I'll just be like her mommy because like her mommy can't be here. So I just it wasn't like a train thing. That you I didn't even know there was <laughs> such a training. I was just like, okay, I'll just go. Like, so um, my my husband actually is a Kohen. So because of that, um, there were certain situations where he actually wasn't able to be with me. Like uh, one of one of my pregnancies ended in a C-section, so he wasn't allowed to be in the OR because uh, Sakana. So um, uh, uh, no, no halachic authority. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a halachic authority on that. Everyone needs to ask their own shilas, just disclaimer. But in our situation, that was the, that was the psak that we got. So I always actually had on 
call for myself a mommy to hold my hands. So I kind of just thought that's what it was. Um, and I I went and I just, you know, was someone that I knew and she was friends with me and I, I held her hand and, and she got through it. And, um, and I did this a few times because she sort of told other people and I did this a few times and I was like, you know, there, there's gotta be like a better way to do this. Like I could do more than just holding someone's hand, like, and telling them it's going to be okay. They don't even believe me when I'm saying it. You know, like, I got to like figure this out. So I start researching and I had never heard of the word doula in my life. And I, I, I was like, what's a doula? Uh, so I went and I, I did get trained. Um, I got, I got a train, I got certified and I took that training and just used it a lot. Uh, probably the most, the most. So I, I became a certified doula. Um, and with that, um, kind of propelled me into this unbelievable experience where I kind of got to, I felt like I was like partnering with Hashem a little to like bring his creations, you know, into the world. Um, to this day, there's not a birth that I'm at that I don't, I, I mean, I don't sob away, but like there are always tears when that <laughs> baby is born. Um, I just, I've tried, I've tried to like shut it off. It just won't go away. Um, but uh, there's something really, really special and beautiful. It's a huge, huge privilege. It's a, you know, it's, it's really, I feel like Hashem sort of pulls back the curtain a little in that space. And, uh, and you just, you know, they say there's no atheist in a foxhole. I'm pretty sure there's no atheist in a birth room. Um, so, uh, that is, um, that is a huge part of, of, um, my career life. Um, funny enough, I actually, because of the way that I got into it, I, I didn't even know that people get paid for it. Um, for about a decade and a half. Even after being certified, it was just... No idea. Mm. For a decade and a half, I was just like hopping around birth rooms. I was so thrilled to be doing this. Well, it's pretty... There's a lot of time constraints. I mean, you're, you have to... You have, you're on call, in a sense. Yes. Yes and no, because it's not like a nine-to-five job, but it's also not like a seven-day-a-week job. I mean, right. it, could, it could be a 72-hour job straight, but, <laughs> you know, but it's It could usually, be in the middle of the night. It could be right. on Chavez. It could right. be any... Yes, they got to have a really supportive husband. And we were very fortunate that actually after my youngest was born, um, about a year and a half later, I actually wasn't well. Um, and we made a choice to have, to hire um, uh, a live-in uh, to help us... Um, my goal was actually interviewed a lot of people because I, I wanted someone to take care of the house so that I could take care of the children. I didn't want anyone taking care of my children and a Clearly, lot, right. yeah, <laughs> and a lot of, a lot of live-ins just, you know, they just naturally go to that nanny mode. And so, you know, it took us probably 30 different people. I'm not exaggerating till I found someone who just got it right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we were very lucky to have that. And, and so I, I had that built in babysitter as well, which was very fortunate. Um, and my children grew up with it. I, 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 I remember so clearly my oldest, my kids can, I know are very smart. I remember my oldest hearing me on the phone for the first time speaking to someone, um, in labor and, and, um, I asked if her water broke and 
when I got off the phone, this is like a child whose feet are firmly planted on the ground and could be reading a book, but here's everything, right? And she said, Mommy, how could water break? And I was like, oh, they hear things. Okay. <laughs> <Fears> <laughs> Laws of ears. Laws of ears. So, um, so yeah, so my kids definitely grew up with, um, you know, they will joke that we cannot bring people to our supper tables during the week because... Uh, yeah, they've watched. Uh, they? <laughs> they've watched uh, C-sections. They've watched. You know, mm. they've seen stuff. That my, you know, our, our, our male children are going to be amazing, amazing <laughs> husbands. My sister just and this week just had a baby at home, so she uh, not on purpose. So she yeah. was on her way and then had it at home. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So in any case, um, this this piece of my life is actually super important because, um, what. When I share um, our our baby, um, you know, our story about our baby and how she came into our lives, I hope that you're going to start to see, um, like, how the puzzle pieces are coming together. Um, the our youngest child was thirteen. Um, we were, we were, we were so happy with our children that, you know, we maybe shouldn't have had or couldn't have had. Right. So we were very grateful. We didn't have a million of them. I think I, I do remember my husband saying something when I was engaged, we, we did talk that question like, Oh, how many kids do you want to have? You know, every, I think most of us in the calls like talk about it or maybe right after marriage. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure he said 12. I'm pretty sure that was his number. <laughs> we do not have 12. But, um, but everyone is very precious to us. And, uh, and our youngest was 13 and, and we were just happy and we were in a, a groove, you know, it's like, there's no more diapers, right, there's no, no more naps. babies here. Yeah. Like you can, you can like schedule stuff, you can do stuff, you know, no one's, you know, it's just, it just was a groove. Um, we also had a, our children are very close in age. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, you know, they're just very they were good, good friends, you know, and they liked to do stuff together. So we did stuff together, lots of stuff. Um, and uh, we went on a road trip. We love exploring Hashem's world. I have this thing that I am afraid to um, get to Shemayim after 120, and Hashem's going to look at me and go, oh, you didn't go see my Grand Canyon? How could you, not, you were in their backyard. Like, how could you? So I, I have this thing that like, we have to just try to see as much of Hashem's world as we possibly can. We don't do big cities too much. We really go into <laughs> nature. But we uh, were on a road trip. It was actually our first road trip after moving to the community that we live in now. And uh, we went uh, five weeks, I think, six weeks. And we just explored um, some of, the most beautiful states, I mean, Utah, um, Colorado, California, up the coast, um, all the way up to the Redwoods and the Sequoia Forest. And I mean, we just really, we really, we lived it up. Um, we saw beaches, we saw, you know, deserts, we saw sand, we saw everything, we experienced it all. And everywhere we went, I mean, you're talking about dozens of places, pretty much across the board, we kept bumping into families um, I imagine most of them weren't even Jewish, 
but, you know, at state parks, on hikes, at the beach that had children with special needs of all ages, biological, adopted, fostered, um, and not just bumped into them, but like would interact with us and sometimes like for a while and like sort of hook themselves onto us. So um, it kind of became a theme on our trip that first year. And uh, the last day where we were driving home, it was a long drive home, and we were talking about the trip, and, you know, I said, okay, guys, what was your favorite part? And one of the kids said, mommy, wasn't it, like, uh, wasn't it weird that, like, we kept bumping into these kids? And I was like, yeah, that was, like, pretty amazing. That was pretty amazing that we got those interactions. And, um, and, and my kid said, you know, like, it was so special that, like, these families adopted or fostered. I wonder if, like, the Jewish community has like you know if there's families out there that are looking for like a loving home for a child that for whatever reason you know they're not able to care for we have a loving home mommy we should do that and I was like really I looked at my husband okay um I said I'll look into it so we got back and I looked into it and I discovered um a very special organization called JCAN um Jewish Children Adoption Network they run out of Denver um, run by uh, a couple, very, very special couple. And basically, they're just a registry. They're not an agency. They're not anything like that. But what they do is um, they specifically focus on um, children that come from all types of backgrounds, um, children, babies, I mean, anything. Um, and, and it could be like a medical issue. It could be um, a psychological issue. It could be circumstances, you know, it could be a, a child that has um, a diagnosis that we know this child's not going to make it, you know, all types of things. And um, they they just send, you know, anyone who's interested, any family that's interested, they send them a, a pamphlet that's quite thick, and it goes through anything that could possibly go wrong, basically. You know, it starts off pretty simple. You know, by simple, I mean like, Blind, deaf, whatever, and then it for you, right? right? <laughs> and then like it goes into like you know, and you start to turn the pages. And I remember sitting there with my husband filling it out because there's three columns. There's you know, you have to say if you're if you feel you know that you have the the home that's able to to take in a child with X, Y, and Z, right? So it's it's either yes, no, or maybe like if you're not sure. And and uh, and I, you know, we started going through these things, and we thought, okay, oh, yeah, this is easy. And then like you start to like every organ that could possibly go wrong, every, you know, missing a limb that, you know, comes from an abusive background was, you know, so many different things. And um, I just was like, I would read it and then I'd be like, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. I mean, you start to just thank Hashem for your healthy children. And uh, we filled it out. We, we're not that, like, incredibly special. There's, like, unbelievable people out there that, like, say yes to some really really um you know full full situations um we we just checked off i think deaf and um and and down syndrome um because that's just the kids that we met on this trip were like mostly mostly uh, most of them had down syndrome so uh we, we checked that off and uh and we sent it back and that's it they sort of hold you in a computer until they get a phone call, there's many, many agencies and organizations that, that know about them, and they their computer system sort of has a formula, and, and they type in, you know, the type of baby, and they come up with a name, and they give, they just, they're just shadchanim, that's all they are. 
Um, that's not all they are. They, they are beautiful, beautiful shadchanim. Um, so, uh, so we did that. And a year and a half later, we got a call about a baby. And, uh, and would we be interested? Are we still interested? So, uh, so, you know, my husband and I felt that um, ultimately any child that we would take in, um, you know, this, this was a baby with Down syndrome. And so you have to think, you know, 40 years down the road. And um, when you're thinking like that, you know, you have to sort of factor into the equation that there's going to come a time where um, our children are actually responsible for this child. Um, so it was really, it became a choice that was our children's choice and not ours. Um, it was very clear to us from the beginning. And so we, we went to our kids. This was a year and a half after they had like so excited and whatever, you know, given in this, we had done this registry and, uh, and, and we said, okay guys, we got a call. What do you think? Sat down around the table. We, we always had from the time the kids were little, these family meetings. And, um, we said, okay, what do you think? Our jobs as parents is to to focus on, on our children. And this was clearly not, you know, this is bringing in a child where not every child was feeling in the space. And I think part of it was that like some of our kids had been children before, like a year and a half earlier and then had hit teenage and, and teenagers need certain spaces and mm-hmm. they need certain, you know, they have certain, um, um, you know, they go through things, right? And so sometimes they're like, I, I don't want to share my space right now, right? I really need to work work through who I am right now. So, um, so we we called up and we said, you know, it's uh, you know, it's not for us. Um, and uh, and that was it. And I think what happened was that I I, you know, because we had said like no, that uh, that that would be it. That we would be off the registry. And, uh, and that was it. It was just like we chalked it up as like a beautiful hishtadlis that we did, and that was it. And we were so proud of our kids for like being open to this and, and being wanting to. Right. And, yeah. and also saying no. Yeah, yeah. That's a crazy yeah. thing. And knowing, knowing what they wanted. Yeah, and that was it. Uh, fast forward two years. Um, outside, I'm actually babysitting for uh, twins um, uh, because, oh, now in my funnest job ever, um, Hashem like just dropped into my life. Funny enough, on that road trip we were on, that first road trip, I got a phone call. I still remember where we were. And my phone rang and it was an organization on the East Coast. They were looking for um, someone who had some experience in the birth field um, to help out with Hashkacha in uh, fertility labs. And I was like, Really? Ooh, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I was like, <laughs> sign me up. They're like, no, we pay. And I was like, are you crazy? I'll pay you. Like, this is so much fun. So on top of like everything that I get to do, um, you know, um, for moms and 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 babies and, and to, I don't even do, I just like hold the space there and they do amazing things themselves. Um, but uh, on top of that, I actually like talk about like pulling the curtain back. Oh, unbelievable. Mamish, like, Nisim and flows go on in those labs. So, um, or what's your role in the in the lab? To um, hashkacha, hashkacha mainly. So, just making sure that you know um, uh, any biological matter that comes from Jewish patients um, remains sealed. So everything's sealed with my seals, and and nothing can be open. Nothing can be done in the lab if I'm not there. If I don't open it, 
Um, and uh, yeah, it goes on for, for forever as long as there's biological matter in the lab. I'm, I'm, I'm there, and, and there's a, a number of labs, a number of labs that I work in. Um, I, I go wherever they send me, where the organization send me, and I'm the oh, so only you're one traveling throughout throughout the metroplex that I live in. Um, right. It's a large metroplex, uh, meaning meaning like every every city has like outside little places, right? So, um, you know, you could have something in the main city, but then like you could have to travel forty minutes to like you know a town outside if a, if a clinic is there. Yeah, I thought you were traveling back to the east coast. Every, no, 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 no. So they try to have hashkacha in any city that needs it. Um, so I am the person that does it. You know where where I am. Um, yeah, so. Two years later, when I got this call, I was actually babysitting for twins that um, were actually my very first hashkacha that I did. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I feel very connected, and I'm so grateful that um, usually when hashkacha is done in, in larger cities, there's a lot of uh, anonymity, um, confidentiality. Many times, the the mashkicha um, is not even meeting the couple, but in a in a smaller community like we have. Um, there's a lot of emotional support and because also people know what I do as a living. So there's a lot of emotional support and that, that runs through from before to way after. And so it's, it's a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful privilege, really privileged. So I was babysitting these, these twins and my phone rings and I look at the caller ID and it says, Jake can, and I'm like, that's weird. So, um, I picked up the phone and, and they said, um, we're just wondering, like, are you still open to um, to a baby? We have a two-week-old baby that has Down syndrome, a little girl. And I was like, I don't know because, you know, my, my children last time, you know, I don't know, we, we have to ask our children. And so I finished babysitting as calmly as I possibly could. You know, your heart is like beating out of your chest, like like what is about to happen or what is not about to happen, but there's like, definitely an, an excitement and adrenaline and um you know uh, we we called a meeting our our one of our daughters was an artistal at the time um so we 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 looped her in on the phone uh, it kind of went like this hey honey we're having a family meeting just wondering we got a phone call from jcan they have a baby two weeks old down syndrome little girl are you interested uh, yeah, mommy, I think this is a really good time. Great, I'll get back to you. Bye. <laughs> That's how that went. <laughs> and then the I rest of the... Like, <laughs> I do most Zoom meetings, so that's fine. Right. And then, like, the rest of the kids, I mean, everyone was like, yes, 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 and yes. And my husband and I were like, what happened? What happened was that there's a plan in this world. That's what happened. And every neshama has a preordained place where it's meant to be and a year and a half earlier two years earlier that baby had a place and it wasn't our home um and this baby had a place and it was our home that's all that happened so uh so yeah so we um this beautiful treasure um from one day to the next and it really was it was uh um, it was just dropped into our lives. Um, in, in, I mean that in the most positive way. Um, uh, we really didn't have much 
preparation or training or anything aside from that. We just, you know, like my kids said, we had a lot of love to give. And uh, and Hashem kind of rallies behind you. Um, and he sends the shlichim that are needed to show you the way. So uh, we, we, we definitely had um, and still have um, beautiful, beautiful connections with people that that are, um, you know, have walked this path before us many, many times. And, uh, and uh, we are definitely um, sitting on their shoulders and, and riding this beautiful journey. Um, yeah, so that, so our baby is, um, is with us for um, about a year and a half now. And um, uh, I am very fortunate to have a um, a wonderful relationship with the biological parents, which I treasure very, very much. Um, and I would say the... Um, I really want to use this platform for a moment because I've been thinking about writing an article in one of the Jewish magazines, but I just haven't had the time. Um, one of the most common comments that I hear is how can a mother give away her child? And I have a really hard time with that judgment call. There are so many details uh, to situations. We don't even know half of it. Um, I mean, I am lucky to know a lot of the story, but it doesn't even matter if we know it or we don't know it. We need to assume that we don't know. Um, I have so much respect for for the, our baby's birth parents. And I know their, their situation and the choice that they made and why they made it. And I can tell you that this choice actually took them four weeks of heartbreak to really let go. Um, because the truth is, it's very unnatural for a mother to give away a child. Um, Especially to watch someone else raise the baby. It's extremely unnatural. I think the only case that there wouldn't be, uh, you know, just tearing your neshama out would maybe if there's mental health involved, so it kind of numbs those feelings. But it, it's not a natural thing. Hashem makes us connect with our children that we grow inside of us for nine months. You know, it's a natural thing. So um, this, I, I can testify that this was a case and I'm sure many if not all cases are very similar to this where a mother goes really and she puts aside her own selfish reasons for having and raising this child and says what's best for this child is somewhere else I'm going to put aside me and I remember telling the, the birth mother soon after when we started to build our relationship that um, when we made a kiddish for our baby, it was uh, she was uh, about six weeks old, and um, we had a lot of people that 
came in, relatives that came in for the Kiddush, and we had a lot of people at our home for Shabbos. And we have something incredible that we do at our Shabbos table called uh, Table Topics. And uh, it's basically little cards that have different topics or, you know, interesting dis- like discussion starters. And my kids get to choose a card and uh, we go around the table and it's just an interesting way to sort of get to know people. A lot of times we have people that we've never met before. So it's any question from like, you know, who were you named after to, uh, you know, uh, um, what's what's your favorite saying or, you know, who's uh, a role model growing up, you know, uh, things like that. You know, I place. did a whole episode on, on what was your favorite quote. I did with my oh, father yeah. <laughs> right after we, 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 we met you guys. So then that week I was just thinking about it and I came up with four better ones than I had. And, <laughs> and we, we went back and forth, so yeah. inspired by you too. <laughs> um, so one of my kids pulled out from the box, who is your hero? And uh, there were a lot of people at the table. <laughs> but as soon as she pulled it out, I was like, Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and I don't want to cry because there's so many people here, but I already know who it has to be. And so um, I was, uh, we go around in order and the child who chose it was sitting next to me and they went in the opposite direction of me. So I was the very last person. Um, and when they got to me, I, I really tried the whole time to like hold it together. I'm like, you can do this. Just say what you need to say and get out of there. But I, I, I just, I couldn't, I didn't manage. I just said, you know, I, it's very easy for me to say in this moment, you know, I've, I've had many heroes throughout my life, people that are role models to me. But in this moment, I just can't think of anyone bigger than, than this baby's birth mother. And I said, you know, heroes, they're not always wearing capes and big smiles and have big muscles and uh, they don't always get awards. Uh, Some of them, they really get kicked down into the gutter. People whisper about them behind their backs. Um, They're judged. They're not accepted. Um, You know, heroes don't always look like knights in shining armor. But this mother has taught me that I had no idea what it means to sacrifice for my children. And I have, like, I can't, she's such, she's on such a high pedestal for me. Like, I just, I, I'm just completely dispel from, from what she's done. Um, our baby will grow up uh, hearing her life story um, as her bedtime story. And the reason that she will is because, um, this was the very first question I was asked when I picked this baby up, put her in my car, and I'm driving home, and a relative called me, n- knowing what was going on, and asked this question. Great timing for people in your life asking great questions. Yes. <laughs> wonderful relative it happens to be i'm glad that people feel comfortable being honest um she said when she grows up are you going to tell her that she's adopted how is she going to feel to know 
that she was given away. It was the first time I heard the question. I've heard it many times since, um, this term of giving away. And it just, I had like a visceral, like shudder. Like my body was like, just, it, it felt so wrong. It didn't match the situation at all. And what came out of me was just instinctive. And I said, she wasn't given away. She was given. And, and this relative said, what do you mean? And I said, you don't understand. Up in Shemayim, about 10 and a half months ago, there was a board meeting. God called a board meeting. And he said, okay, I need all my head honchos here. And he called in all the big guys, the big malachim. He's like, listen, guys, I, I have a task for you. It's a big one. I got to show you something. And he pulled out from his pocket this neshama that was so bright and sparkling with brilliance that the malachim had to look away. And uh, he's like, I need, I need to find like a really, really special vessel of a mother to grow this neshama into a human for nine months. I need you to go down. Don't, don't just find anyone. You need to find someone really special. And, uh, and then I need you to do something else. I need you to find a family that after this holy mother will grow this neshama into a baby. I, I need to find another family that their job will be to love this, this baby. And they went down, and you know what? They took a look at my home, and I didn't, I didn't meet the, the bar. I didn't meet the bar. They skipped over my home. They ended up in our birth mother's home. And uh, they took a look at the siblings, and they took a look at the parents, and, and, and they're like, yeah, perfect. Oh, this is it. This is it. This is where she belongs. And that's where she went. And I don't know why. I don't know why this baby needed and and got and, and was privileged to have, you know, two mothers to love her. But uh, families are made in many different ways, you know, and, and this is this is what ours looks like. This is what hers looks like. Um I have no idea why that just came out of me when when I was posed that question for the first time, but it was just so wrong to think that there was any correct way to put the word away next to the word given in this situation. This whole situation was just about given. This neshama was given to a mother, and then this mother went and gave and then I and my children and my husband are doing everything we can to give. You know, it's just about giving. And, uh, and uh, yeah, this is, this is her, her life story. And this is going to be her bedtime story when she's old enough, you know, to say, Mommy, can you tell me a story? This is going to be it. She's going to grow up knowing how lucky she is, how special she is, and, uh, and how loved she is. So, uh, yeah, so um, I don't mind wrapping it up. <laughs> um, we've been at it for a while. Um, maybe you could, instead of me saying a message, maybe you could say um, a message to the listener, a message that you need 
that you want to give over? Maybe we could end with that. Um, I first want to say just looking back, you know, there's a lot of different things that I've shared. There's, there's so much more. I mean, life is so multidimensional and my husband could come here and say 10 times more things than I can about his life and his journey. Um, but I, I, if I can get you before you leave tomorrow morning, we will. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, looking back, you start to see like patterns. You know, when I was a, a, a child, I, I grew up in an environment where I was meant to hold a space for someone else. Okay, it wasn't in a healthy way, but that was definitely what my job was, what my role was. Um, you know, the, the profession that I, you know, Hashem dropped me into, I meant to hold a space to be a fly on the wall, right? Um, so that other people can be the best they can be, right? Hashem sent me a husband who doesn't need me at all. He's extremely independent. Um, but by nature of the fact that he doesn't hear uh, he doesn't speak on the phone. He can't hear on the phone. So anytime he wants to make a phone call, right, he needs someone to facilitate that. Um, I'm not meant to live his life for him, but I'm meant to hold space for him when he needs it. And now we have this beautiful baby. And uh, she's running circles around us for sure. Um, she's quite the personality and, uh, and uh, no doubt will be quite independent as she grows up. Um, but she, um, again, there's there's different needs that come with a situation like this. There's so many things that she can't do for herself. And uh, and again, our job is to, to hold that space. Um, I'm so fortunate that I, I think people search for um, their entire lives sometimes to figure out uh, you know what the, what their purpose is, and um, actually was at a program with um, with Rev. Gabriel Friedman, Rosh Hashanah recently, and uh, and we were talking about this in a one on one conversation, and uh, he said actually there's a very very few people in the world that you know they have some ma- oh they have to start that organization or they have to like there's very few people that have that type of tafkid. Most of us, we have to sort of look to see what are our strengths, what are the circumstances we give in all of that and figure it out that way. And I, I feel very fortunate that I have learned um, through my life that my job is actually um, behind the scenes. It's not front and center in the spotlight, uh, which is a big, big part of, of why, um, you know, this podcast is, is being done this way. Um, I'm going to end with this message. Um, a takeaway. Um, as you can tell, I, I was not the most popular kid in school. Um, although I did have a, a lot of opportunities for friendship. And I had wonderful people around me, but I, I just, you know, I wasn't the popular kid because I was afraid to be the popular kid. Um, and, and really, from the outside, everything looked quite under ordinary. <laughs> um, and uh, and um, 
it's only these like extraordinary little bursts of things that happen, you know, in, in my life that, that people kind of say, oh, wow, like that's quite incredible. But, um, but the truth is that we don't really live in the moments of, you know, these, these crazy things that happen. We don't really live in those moments. Those moments happen and then it's the before and the after that really stays with us. Um, someone once told me something really beautiful that um, when, when we have moments in our life that, that, that really, really are challenging, that it just feel complete darkness. It's in those moments sometimes, even when we turn to Hashem, many times, at least for me personally, specifically in the moments that are completely dark, we actually, like, I, I, there's no one home. There's no one home. Like at the moments that we really need him the most, like, he, where are you? Like, how come I don't feel you? And I heard this beautiful, beautiful thing. It's kind of like uh, if you watch a child, a small child in a playground who's, you know, most children are scared of, of dogs, right? You watch a child in a playground and they're playing and the, the father, you know, little boy's playing and the father's sitting on a bench somewhere, you know, watching the child from the side. And someone comes along walking a dog and it's a big dog and it's barking away and it's a little ferocious. And this little this little boy goes running down from the playground and crying and running over to his father so scared right and and of course the father you know gets down and, and holds his hands open wide and and his son comes running into his arms um what do children do when they're afraid so many times they'll close their eyes um there's a sense of if you don't see it it's not there right so uh this child goes running into his father's arms closes his eyes takes his face, and he just presses it into his father's chest, just like snuggles in there real tight. And his father just wraps his arms around him, holds him. That's what's going on in our moments of darkness. That's what's going on. Make no mistake about it. Not only is he there, but the reason that it's so dark is because he's holding you so tight. And, uh, and that should be the biggest comfort, the biggest comfort. Um, I hope that, uh, I hope that, um, everything that I shared today can at least touch or help even one person. And I just want to put it out there again, that if anyone on a personal level would like to connect, I am open to it. I'm just not able to obviously share, uh, personal, personal details, you know, on a public forum, but I'm, I'm open. Right, and you could reach out to me and I'll, I could facilitate that as well. So, um, okay. Terrific. Uh, there's nothing to say. Maybe. <laughs> wow. Have a good Shabbos.